Right now, we're facing a man-made disaster of global scale. We are the first generation to feel the impact of climate change and the last generation that can do something about it. If we put together science, technology, traditional knowledge, we can protect our planet. I want you to act as if the house was on fire, because it is. Welcome back to People Taking Action, a podcast bringing inspirational stories of people around the world who are taking action against the climate crisis. Through the ups and downs in the battle for environmental sustainability, there are local heroes out there who carry on doing their work and making a difference. So we're here to bring their stories to you, have a nice relaxed discussion, and hopefully bring you a bit of inspiration along the way. My name's Alex Whitebrook, and with me, as always, is Khadija Stewart. Hi guys, that's me. And we hope everyone had a wonderful holiday season. It's into the new year now, although we are recording this before the new year has come. <laughs> yeah, but happy new year. We're still in 2020, but we hope 2021 is going well for everyone. <laughs> I'm just going to go with the flow. I'm not even, no expectations, no nothing. Mm-mm. No expectations. Nope. <laughs> At this point, yeah. 2020 was bad enough. <laughs> exactly. And we all had big dreams and everybody at the start of 2020 was like, yeah, this is going to be my year. Nope. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> Just going with the flow. I mean, this podcast came out of 2020. That's something to be happy for. That's true. We had the time. We finally had the time. That's right. This week, we're going to be talking with Sylvia Cantu, who's a recent graduate of Middlebrook College, where she majored in political science with a focus on environmental policy. Sylvia is originally from Mexico, but she's been all over the world studying Canada, another Canadian link in this episode, mm-hmm. um, in Brazil as well. And she's fluent in Spanish, English and Portuguese. So she's a very worldly person and she kind of follows through with that in, in her work. She does underwater photography to raise awareness of issues like coral bleaching. Apart from being a conservation photographer, she has also been involved in a number of projects, whether that be Peace Boat or her other work as a climate reality leader and generally engaging young people in cross-cultural and inclusive environmental education. She's going to be very interesting to talk to and I'm really excited to hear about this underwater photography she does because I'm always really impressed. Exactly, right? I'm always really impressed by anyone who can do uh, who can even do scuba diving but not just that I mean it's wanting to have the skills to take good pictures but she's doing it underwater so that's like next level what does that even involve I don't know exactly <laughs> but I'm sure we'll find out today I feel like we're getting one of those behind the scenes looks in documentaries you know yeah <laughs> behind the scenes scoop all the little tricks exactly before we jump into that let's have a quick chat about the situation in her home country of Mexico. So, Mexico, fun facts with cats, fun facts with Khadija, whatever you want to call it, right? So, Mexico's location between the two oceans and, you know, its complex topography, this increases the country's exposure to extreme hydrometeorological events. That was a big word for me. And this is just (laughs) tropical cyclones, frost, heat waves, flooding, etc. And, you know, also their geographic vulnerability is intensified by their sizable population wealth gap as they have approximately 53.2% of the population living below the national poverty line. And that's a lot. And, you know, all of that coupled with urbanization, aging transport, power, water, infrastructure, All those good stuff also contribute to their vulnerability to the risk of climate change and their coastal areas are very important. 
Mexico has an exclusive economic zone and territorial sea of approximately 3 million kilometers squared, and this is the 13 largest in the world. So their oceans are very diverse. It's very interesting. They have 23% of their marine areas that are protected. In 2017, 34 million acres of marine areas are protected from fishing or extractive activities. And it's a big number, but compared to the volume of ocean that they have, it's going to be almost negligible. I could only imagine the pictures that Sylvia has and the world that she sees on any day and is able to share. All right, should we jump on into a conversation with Sylvia? Yeah. Let's do it. Hi, Sylvia. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to our podcast, People Taking Action. We're happy to have you. We're so excited to learn more about your story, to hear all the great stuff you've been doing. We have met two webinars. We have not met in person, so this will be good for, for me to learn more about you and, and stuff. So, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, no, I'm so happy to be here. And like you said, we met online, but we haven't met in person yet. So mm-hmm. Yeah, this is something I was surprised to hear. I mean, we may as well just jump in <laughs> with this point of conversation. I actually, when Khadija and I were chatting just now for the introduction, I assumed um, you guys had met on, on the Peace yeah. Boat. Um, And maybe we could start off just by explaining to our listeners what the Peace Boat is and how you guys were involved and how it feeds into the rest of the work that you do. Sure, yeah, I can give a very quick intro. And if I'm missing anything, Khadija, feel free to chime in. But I actually joined a different program from Khadija. I joined the Youth for the Mm -hmm. SDGs and you did the Ocean and Climate Youth Ambassadors, right? Yeah. So we did different programs, but basically Peace Boat has many different programs and it invites youth to a really big ship that travels all around the world fighting for, you know, peace education, non-proliferation, sustainability. It really sponsors many causes and tries to get youth from all around the world to work together and they have different programs for that. The one I joined was Youth for Mm. the SDG, so for the Sustainable Development Goals. And I participated in the spring of 2019, so that was last year, and yeah it feels like a long time ago this year was really long <laughs> yeah it does. it's like the idea of being on a boat with a bunch of other young people I, sailing it, on the world also that no, scary. yeah thought. exactly yeah so that was yeah that was last year and yeah it was it was amazing it was two weeks i did the south america program so we traveled uh in the, around the patagonia so from mm. ushuaia in argentina all the way up to valparaiso chile and we had like a field trip in ushuaia in argentina up to the glaciers I had never been to the patagonia I had never seen a glacier in my life it was amazing wow. and then we also had some workshops in chile with litter of light litro de luz which is like an ngo that works with sustainable access to energy and lighting and it's pretty interesting and so we also led workshops while we were on the ship and like i talked about scuba diving and photography and all the things that i'm passionate about so it was really really cool mm-hmm. like you get to meet all the youth who are just as passionate about the environment and peace and education and they're you know working hard for the sdgs in very unique ways that make sense for their communities so it was really interesting to see how we were all just sort of on the same thing but doing it in different ways you learn so much from how people do that yeah i mean both of you guys had an amazing opportunity opportunity being a part yeah. of this I'd, I'd love to hear more about I, I, don't, I feel like I haven't even spoken to Khadija enough about 
<laughs> like what goes on on the peace boat and where you guys travel to the fact that you got to go up into the patagonia and go and see glaciers and and sail up south america <laughs> these are just amazing things to do and raising awareness about environmental issues at the same time it's fantastic yeah so Sylvia, you were there in spring on the peace boat and i think i joined right after because our program started in may Ooh. and we joined the peace boat in malta we went to spain we went to granada in spain we went to tangier morocco we went to the azores islands um off the coast of portugal and it ended in new york for whole oceans day and just like you like you said you know we had the different workshops and stuff on the boat, educating the passengers about climate change, especially as it relates to small island developing states, because most of the passengers were either Japanese, Chinese, you know, Mm -hmm. or Korean. There were a few Americans, but essentially they all came from developed countries. And so Mm. for us sharing our stories, it was almost like opening their eyes to oh my gosh, this climate change thing is real. Yeah. And this is how it's affecting people and other parts of the world that they don't even think about. Um, you know, I have a friend from Tuvalu, one from Pilau. Sorry, not Pilau. That's that's a food that we have in Trinidad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she's from Palau. <laughs> yeah. And you know, um, some people from other Caribbean mm-hmm. islands, it was eight of us. And it was just so interesting that we were all from different islands yet we had such similar problems Mm -hmm. and similar ways we were tackling these solutions but we were still Mm. different you know so i found that that was Mm -hmm. i don't know that was really cool for me just connecting and just hearing these stories firsthand because i have read stuff about tuvalu or about fiji etc but just hearing from them and hearing the passion and the sadness in their voice and Mm -hmm. you know connecting with somebody from there and it it made it it hit home yeah so yeah it sounds like you guys both had a really cool experience to just educate so many people and share your own your own content that you're creating for climate and environmental education khadija you know with your blog and Mm -hmm. your writing and all of the activism that you do and then sylvia the photography you do which is incredible can you tell us a little bit more about how you kind of found your way into underwater photography what interested you in scuba diving in the first place which i find really impressive and that's something i'd love to tick off one day but yeah give us the whole story (laughs) (laughs) let's let's see (laughs) i started as a photographer Mm -hmm. in high school maybe even I guess before that, but I think the first time that I had a camera for myself and that I was like, okay, this is real, was in high school. But before that, I was a kid that loved, you know, taking pictures of animals and making like mock documentaries. And and so it was in high school that I got my own camera and I started to take pictures of like all kinds of events and getting experience. I never had any like formal training. I just had to Google stuff, watch a lot of YouTube videos, but it was just a process of learning. And very slowly, I felt like I was starting to feel a lot more confident, you know, in in my skills. And then in college, I think that's when I finally said, okay, you know, I I know things. (laughs) I know how to do things like I I think I got this and so I started to do a lot of freelance work because you know I had some previous experience but that was the first time that I was being Mm. hired Mm. it's very nerve-wracking because you're like what if something does not work what if my camera like stops functioning like yeah like (laughs) I know right because like people are you know they depend on you like this is something you signed up to do so it was also a very cool learning process because 
I learned a lot and it was amazing taking pictures of like stage photography and dances and theater performances it's, it's difficult because you're dealing with changes in lights and colors and costumes and so you have to be like really quick mm -hmm. all the time so that was how I got into photography and most of the work I was doing was with people indoors but I was sort of feeling like you know there's there's gotta be something more you know like out there like it's not just stuff that I could do indoors you know I wanted to travel and to do a lot more landscape photography so I went on a few trips and that's when I started to really test out my knowledge and to really do the things that I wanted to do and I was no longer being hired for that it was just what's right. my passion what what kinds of stories do I want to mm. tell right and I started to focus a lot on environmental injustices and, and movements for justice and also just wildlife, but from a lens of conservation and honoring, you know, different ecosystems. And that also took a while because it was a very different learning process. Now you have to deal with very unexpected mm -hmm. scenarios. You also have to work with communities that maybe they don't want a photographer yeah. there, you know. There's a lot of communication and trust that needs to go on when you're at somebody mm -hmm. else's home. Part of the respect and honoring people's stories is to really take the time to learn and do, do your side of the job. And so, you know, I would develop projects and try to learn new things and, and tell different stories, but also trying to make them into projects and have some guidance from different mentors and community members and, and make sure that it was a community effort. Because at the end of the day, I don't think that photography, it's like a work of one mm. person. I don't think it's just the eye of one person because maybe I am the one taking pictures, but there's so many other people sharing their stories and making sure that this is genuine and that you are really representing issues of injustice or justice in a way that it's loyal to people's needs and liberation mm. struggles. And so, and so when people see some of my photographs, I'm like, well, actually, this professor was the one that taught me this and this person was my guide. And so I always try to make sure that people get the fact that it was collective really cool. work and that there was no way There's I like could whole, do it. There's like a whole story that leads to that one shot kind of thing. Yeah, that's how I got into photography. And then uh, I also got into scuba diving when I was in high school. And it was a pretty similar story. I started off sort of learning from peers and mentors. And then I was accepted into a scuba dive club that would finance all your expenses and they would rent the equipment for you, which was amazing because living in Mexico, I know how expensive mm -hmm. scuba diving is. It was something that I was like, maybe I'll try it, you know, <laughs> one time and it will be fun. And I'll tell people about it and I'll forget. But the fact that I was sponsored to do that several times a week for two years, I think that's, it's something that not many people have access to. And I'm pretty aware of that. And I definitely think that if it wasn't for that scholarship, I don't think I would have ever gotten into diving because it, it's a very exclusive activity. And and when it is available, it, it's sort of, you know, just a recreational mm -hmm. thing. It's often only available to students like in marine science or something to take it a step further and to say, hey, you know, this is not just recreational like we are doing research or we're doing like beach cleanups or something so I think it was a pretty exciting thing to do and to learn and to be a part of and then that's when I was like what if I do photography <laughs> underwater and that's something I'm still mm -hmm. learning honestly it's not uh, something I've been working on a lot because that's also a whole bunch of new equipment and new mm -hmm. rules light and color does not work the same way underwater that's something we're really interested to hear yeah. about actually 
one of the things yeah. in our introduction. I was like, how does it even work? <laughs> so like, I know, it, we see photography on social media all the time that's been taken underwater or film that's been taken underwater, but who actually knows what's going on on the other end of the camera? <laughs> well, this is not going to be a very sciencey explanation because I'm always lacking the lingo, but basically the way light is absorbed and how you perceive colors changes drastically underwater and especially mm. with depth. So there's colors that start to disappear or they mm -hmm. start to look different. And so it's usually the brighter colors that like red or sometimes even yellow or blue, you can see them differently. And so imagine underwater, there's, so, you know, maybe it's already not very clear depending on the visibility. And then you start to see that when you take pictures, you might need a flash or you might need to edit afterwards. There's definitely a lot of thinking that has to happen before you get in the water and take the pictures and you need the right equipment. And you can do a lot with a, with a GoPro. Mm -hmm. I think you can do pretty decent work with really small cameras. But those pictures that you see that just looks so beautiful like people bring down like extra lights and they get underwater tripods and they stay there for like hours well not at a time like, mm -hmm. but like you know they come down several times and it's pretty crazy like it's a very high skill job and it definitely requires a lot of knowledge about the specific area you're working with and then just about photography in general so i don't think any land photographer would be great underwater photographer just like because they are a photographer i think it's it's a whole new learning process and that's what i'm trying to get into i'm still not where i would want to be yet but mm -hmm. yeah i think that would be like a really exciting next step for me definitely when was it that you first thought actually i'm gonna start doing this photography thing <laughs> but underwater. Well, yeah, I think they, they sort of crossed also in college. But like I said, I, I barely got to try it. It was mostly the intersection of photography work and like marine conservation. Yeah. So so the times that I couldn't do underwater photography as much, I would still try to do like a lot of work in the community and like the ecosystem itself. What's the relationship between what we see underwater and, you know, what we see in land. And so I think that was mostly during college. And actually, when I went on Peace Boat, that's when I was like this is really what I want to do and like I want my photography to be conservation photography and I mean obviously this year because of the pandemic I haven't been able to move around much but for one of my final senior projects for my college I did an environmental injustice project which involved a lot of photography and I had to record a register of cases of pollution in my community and who it was affecting the most and it was very difficult because you're really dealing with very strong forces that want to preserve the status quo mm -hmm. and then you have communities that are getting sick and dying because of this pollution and this happened this past semester and mm -hmm. I think it actually sort of clicked that not only can I use photography for like conservation but to really advance um, environmental justice and to acknowledge the power of saying, you know, these are real photographs, these are real people, these are real situations happening and the strength they have when you can see them and sort of acknowledge them and have like the photographies and also the testimonials and to really put everything together. I think that's very powerful. And so I think for myself, that's where everything sort of came together because I'm also a policy major and I studied a lot of environmental policy. And I think mm. it's very interesting because we talk a lot about environmental justice, but at times it feels mm -hmm. so detached, like you only read it in books and then you forget where everything comes from. Mm. So I think this 
project was like a good intersection for me in terms of everything I've learned and everything I experienced on Peace Boat and everything I know as a photographer and scuba diver and sort of apply it to my own community, which is very far away from the ocean, <laughs> but sort of, you know, still thinking about what guides me and why why am I passionate about this. And, and honestly, it was scuba diving that got me passionate about the environment in general. And it's really interesting because people are like, but you live so far away from the ocean, like you, you did not grow up next to the ocean. Like, no, like... <laughs> <laughs> it's fine like <laughs> I know I know but I I love the ocean and I always tell people that I feel like I should have been born in the Caribbean um Trinidad in, yeah <laughs> <laughs> next to the ocean because it makes it that much more impressive though I mean not many people can scuba dive and I can't scuba dive yeah not even like living near the ocean and going to the effort and having the opportunity it is fantastic yeah it no it, fantastic. it definitely opened a lot of doors for me and it really opened my eyes I think mostly to what was going on I think when you first see like coral bleaching or just underwater pollution or trash in the ocean floor that's like something really changes you mm-hmm. like the ecosystems in mexico are very diverse like marine ecosystems well we have the area of the mesoamerican reef system so like in the yucatan peninsula that's where you have cancun and tulum and many tourist um, destinations i guess touristic yeah. spots yeah and the reefs there are beautiful i mean there is a reason why so many people love to visit them and they're just really really beautiful and then you have areas where you don't have reef systems as such but you still have coral formations and a lot of different animals and and types of you know algae and it's very diverse and you have those on the side of the pacific so on the west coast you know you have so many other touristic destinations like puerto vallarta los cabos areas that people tend to visit a lot because they also have a lot of wildlife and for instance in baja california you can see the whales you can see sea lions mm-hmm. there's definitely a lot of things like if you consider consider all of mexico there's so I can imagine. much biodiversity it's one of the most biodiverse countries in the world so um, the marine life it's yeah it's it's beautiful and I think it's really nice because as a scuba diver you can go to different destinations and see different things and even in the Mesoamerican reef system there are areas that are known for having more of one animal or having endemic species that you don't see anywhere else so yeah it's it's very diverse and I think that's why people love to come to Mexico a lot of scuba divers come to Mexico and in terms of changes, I think, mm-hmm. yes, over time, um, especially with the growth of the tourism industry, a lot of the um, hotels and coastal development projects are not, obviously not done in thinking in terms of sustainability, in terms of preserving the environment. So you're seeing a lot of changes in areas where maybe yeah, 10, yeah. 20 years ago, there was really nothing. And it was like pristine, beautiful beaches and everything. And now there's so many hotels that many of them didn't even fully respect the law or like regulations in terms of what they could build Mm -hmm. or what could be there so that's one thing that you see the coastal areas just changed forever and then there's also a lot of pollution partially coming from this urban developments and also just a lot of tourists and sometimes it's partly because the tourists themselves are not being careful enough but sometimes also because there's not even enough disposal sites there's no way for people to manage waste and so it's it's a very complicated dynamic where a lot of the pollution ends up in in the water and right yeah and you can see it actually in some of the like reef systems that are really popular you go scuba diving and you see all kinds of trash and there's a lot of scuba divers and people that do snorkeling that have to go almost every day to like pick up trash because there's just so mm-hmm. much and i think that's that's something that people see a lot and there's also coral bleaching 
I've only seen it once in my life in Mexico, but I know that there's people who said that it's getting worse, that are doing research on it, that see it every, like, they've been tracking it over yeah. the past few years. And, and I believe them. I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense if you see what's happening in the Caribbean as a whole and, like, in Australia, in Southeast Asia, like, coral bleaching is, like, a mass event. And so... It's very sad because, mm-hmm. you know, it used to be super colorful, like the coral, and now it's all, you know, white and like dying. And at the end of the day, it is very sad. But I also think of all these developments in tourism. It's like, if you don't have coral, then you, you don't have, have lost one of the main yeah. reasons yeah, why people come here. So it's it's very sad to see that many of them don't care about it in the short term without thinking that in the end, it's also going to come, you know, affect them. Yeah, like it's, Exactly. It's, you know, they can't escape it even. So... Yeah, there's a lot of changes. And I, I think I could go on about so many things, unfortunately. But but I think that at the same time, just as there are so many like bad things going on and like changes, mm-hmm. I think there's also just as many like NGOs and small groups and schools and research centers doing something about it. There's so many bad things happening and so many tragic changes in the environment. But also you see a lot of people rising up to the challenge and being like, okay you know this is serious we're seeing Mm -hmm. it we need to do something so i hope that that continues to be you know part of our activities and that people take these changes seriously and not being like oh this is temporary or oh this is normal like i once heard someone say well isn't coral supposed like supposed to die anyway and i was like no no." (laughs) like hold on and yeah it's and i think you know we also need that's why i think we also need a lot more like ocean literacy yes more education but but yeah you hear all sorts of things and you're like okay let's let's go back (laughs) yeah a few few steps like that's a messed up point of view that's like justifying killing somebody by saying oh they're gonna die anyways yeah exactly yeah when you're so immersed like in that business or you're you know you're doing something that's harming the environment Mm -hmm. I think some people, not everyone, but I think some people can definitely go on that path and say, well, you know, if I don't do it, somebody else will, you know, the environment is going to get deteriorated anyways. And I'm like, why are you thinking that this is a given? Like that mindset is so messed up. I I can't. <laughs> I'm still stuck at that. I'm still stuck at that. Um, but it's so interesting yeah. that you mentioned, you know, that the, like the tourists and what the tourism industry is doing because we had a problem in Tobago where we have a lot of coral reefs and stuff as well. But some of the tourists mm-hmm. were actually going and breaking off pieces of the coral and using it as souvenirs. And oh, no. yeah, we had to get really strict with it because you started seeing, of course, the coral will die. And because they kept breaking off the coral and along along with other different problems, you started seeing less fish, you know, less people wanted to go out and see the corals because, again, it wasn't as beautiful. And for the people that were going out, they were just going to say, oh, let me go get a piece so that I could say yeah. I went to Tobago and I, I saw coral. This is my evidence. And that's people don't yeah. really think like the effect that the tourism industry has on for marine conservation or just any conservation in general and sustainable tourism is a big topic yeah no i agree i think that in the years to come it's going to be really important for the tourism industry and whoever's involved in tourism activities mm-hmm. to really like do some soul searching almost <laughs> and really think of you know like what like Obviously, you know, some people say, you know, we're only doing this for the money, but I think there's a big room for change Mm -hmm. and a lot of opportunities that come from, could come from that sector. Especially like when you look at how many indigenous communities already deal with ecotourism, like there's a massive blueprint made by so many indigenous communities who've been doing this for so long and who have been welcoming people for so long. And so 
I think when people say, oh, we don't know how to do it. It's too difficult. I'm like, I don't I don't think you're trying hard enough. Lies. Like, I think they're, yeah, lies. And honestly, like if they don't do it in the years to come, I mean, they will go out of business, I hope. And I hope that because people are going to start realizing that things should be done differently and mm-hmm. that they don't want to support those projects. So I I, tr- I hope that people <laughs> can realize of the big power they have and the decisions they make of where they travel, what they consume and, and stuff. Because if not, we're just going to see these patterns continue. And, and like I know in Mexico, they also love to, you know, see the whales and they try to pet them and they try to pet many animals. And, you know, as a scuba diver, one of the first things you learn is you cannot touch anything i mean obviously yeah you might end up touching some things if you're in trouble or like you know, yeah but you're not supposed to interfere with wildlife in any way so when people are like oh i'm so angry they don't let me pet the whales or try to pet this and that and i'm like i don't think the animal wants to be pet exactly. and like there's no reason why you need to be handling like are you a scientist trying to get a sample no <laughs> so i'm like just respect you know the boundaries of these forms of life and enjoy them from a distance you don't have to mm-hmm. take a piece pet them that's something that i think people need to also reflect on that and, and learn more about it and learn how sensitive coral is like if they knew that even just sound disturbs them, yeah many boats the disturbs them imagine what you do if you're like poking them and like exactly yeah there's definitely a big room for like education i think if people knew better how impactful those actions are like how negatively they impact the animals i think they would do them less definitely so it's education you know it's a bit of yeah yeah, it's a mix of many many things even when people do it recreationally i hear a lot of stories of people being like yeah it was beautiful i saw a a turtle or i saw something but many times they also see something they didn't Mm -hmm. like and I think that's when, for a lot of people, it sort of clicks and they're like, oh my God, like it's, like like you were saying, Khadija, like it's it's a moment where people go like, oh, this is serious. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this is actually happening. And so I really wish more people could get into scuba diving. And actually something I've been talking with some other scuba divers, but especially women in scuba diving is how can we make this more, more accessible and how can you maybe... I don't know, have like a fund uh, for scholarships for women in low-income communities to get into scuba diving because, like I said, in my case, I don't think I would have ever tried it without that funding. So imagine all the people Mm -hmm. around the world that could really get into scuba diving and and do something powerful with it if they just had the the resources and and the means. There's so many ideas that I have and (laughs) every day I come up with something new, but, but I agree, like... (laughs) But I think that's something cool. My first thought is virtual reality. That too. Get down there with a 360-degree camera. I don't know how you'd fix the lighting (laughs) issues if you just had one 360-degree camera. (laughs) Yeah, there's actually... This just made me remember. There's um, a project, I think, precisely about this. They're trying to do Mm. uh, mapping of the ocean floors in a similar way to, like, Mm -hmm. Google Street View or, like, Google Maps. I think it's called Underwater Earth. Wait, Street View? Yeah. But underwater? Yeah. So not just, like, virtual mapping where they fill it in with computer-generated images and stuff? Actual... Yeah, images it's like actual floor. images. And yeah, I think they were using Very like cool. different types of, I guess, technologies and like approaches. But I think they were mm-hmm. saying how they wanted to bring that into different schools so they could take the kids underwater and like have guided tours and have the people explain. Amazing. Yeah. So I think that's a pretty cool initiative. And I think it's a lot more realistic in terms of like getting to show what the underwater world looks like. I think it makes a lot more sense to use these technologies um, first and try to get to as many people as possible because it's still pretty impactful and like VR 
once you've tested it out it's it feels pretty real like it feels pretty good and like i think it's really immersive so even if you know you're obviously not underwater and i think just the feeling of being surrounded by the ocean and everything else i think it's pretty impactful and i'm sure that if kids had access to that they would definitely feel pretty inspired so you're right like i think that's and that's also a way to join like video and photography as well we're having so many good ideas in this yeah. <laughs> welcome back to, to people taking action brainstorming session brainstorming. <laughs> yeah now people are going to be listening to us and be like okay i like that idea i'm to write these down <laughs> you know you mentioned the fact that you didn't grow up near the ocean but your experience in scuba diving that's what opened your eyes to it and you know you'll have your pictures you're showing to other people and i just want to know like how do they react when they see the ocean or when they see, you know, your um, conservation pictures or your environmental justice pictures, is it like, oh my gosh, I didn't know this was happening? Or is it like, oh yeah, okay, P- nice picture and move along, you know? Is it that your pictures are making an impact? Yeah, it's it's an interesting question because I feel like sometimes people are like, oh, that's cute. And they just sort of, you know, you know, move along. Mm. Um, but there's been a couple of times where people, um, definitely pause and they're like, Oh, where, where do you take this? Or like, what was going on? Like, and so I think it really sparks curiosity. I think at the very least, it often takes a bit more explaining, uh, for me or like sharing the mm-hmm. context of the pictures for them to be like, Oh, this is actually pretty interesting. Like, I didn't know it was happening. And like, especially when it's like, if I'm in my city right now, when I were to share something about the city, people are always like, Oh my God, was this happening here? Like, I didn't know that. And so, yeah, I think I definitely get some people who are a bit more indifferent or they're like, Oh, cool. And then move along like you said. But I think especially with younger people, it's always like, Oh my God, like, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Like I had never seen this. Like, how do you do this? And it's always just a, a process of, you know, seeing the reactions and sort of intervening when necessary. But in my case, it's sort of, it's a bit difficult because I've been part of a few exhibits and I've also um, had some presentations and like workshops where I show my, my photography directly to people and I share the context. But sometimes people see my photography, like maybe on my, my website, like my photography portfolio, or maybe they see one or two pictures, but with no context. And I think that's difficult because it's Mm -hmm. just like a random image and they're like, Oh, I, I don't even know where this was taken. So my next step is to really build a website because right now I only have my Flickr and I've been working on that website for a year, but I always sort of end up postponing it a bit. Honestly, I think my goal for maybe 2021 (laughs) would be to really get my Mm -hmm. website up and to also have it in a way that I'm like focusing Mm -hmm. on certain stories so like not just dumping all the pictures but having like some sort of coherent format kind of like a feature article where people can see Mm. images and also some text and follow the story along because I also really love writing and it's always been difficult half of my audience is like in Spanish and the other half is in English and Sometimes they like some people can understand the other language, but it's I think that's also been difficult for me, like knowing how to make my work available to people and more accessible. And I usually just have to use both languages. But for my website, I've been told to just use English, but I'm really tempted to do the same. So like maybe have it both in English and Spanish, because some of the stories are from Mexico, so it wouldn't make much sense to not have them available to people yeah from here that you know maybe don't know english or just don't want to read it in english and yeah. so but yeah it's i think that would be a cool next step people are really interested in seeing the work i do i think that's also pretty exciting i think sometimes we betray ourselves and we're like maybe it's not that interesting or maybe you know it shouldn't be a, a thing of its own like its own instagram but then people are like no it, it 
It should be like what? Like what are you talking about? So you should be yeah, you should be waiting for that. It's coming. I'm gonna hold you accountable to that statement. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna have to follow up. Yeah. Yeah, and if I don't have it up soon, you can just feel free to message me and be like, Sylvia, where is that? <laughs> That sounds like a really brilliant idea, though. Like a kind of curated portfolio of underwater shots and, and stories would be really, really cool. There's not enough of that kind of independent stuff out there. I think you're doing great work and you should keep on pushing to share it with as many people as possible. I'm definitely one of those people who's like, what do you mean? <laughs> you know, you don't think your work's that interesting? You can scuba dive. <laughs> you have a, a skill that not many people have and it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, no, definitely. So yeah, definitely keep on doing what you're doing, Sylvia, and inspiring more people because it's definitely going to lead somewhere and maybe you should <laughs> pioneer on these, all these great <laughs> VR ideas and stuff. Right. And let me know if you are going to because <laughs> it really interests me too. <laughs> yeah, I will definitely uh, reach out to the NGOs that are already working on this because mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. my original idea, but I think, I yeah, they would really benefit from our discussions. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a very cool next step to test out and especially now with the pandemic that people can't move around much and travel i think vr makes even more sense you know in terms of if you can't bring the people to the physical space and just bring the space to the people and yeah yeah exactly scuba dive from home that's perfect That should be yeah. That should be our slogan if we ever. <laughs> well, it's official now. We have to do it. <laughs> New business, and that will be our slogan. <laughs> exactly, you see that. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Can't wait to catch up yes. at a later date and see how everything's going. Yeah. No, it will be. Yeah, it will be perfect. That maybe in a year or something we do like a second part. Um, <laughs> and for then sure. let's see if I may got my Instagram running and if we got the VR stuff going as well. Yeah. It's also people like uh, hearing us can also um, remind us to do all that stuff now that now exactly. now everyone's like involved. So this they become like a New Year's resolution <laughs> yeah. podcast, a New Year's resolution episode. Right? Yeah, it's perfect. But yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. It's always so fun to talk about photography and and the things I do and the things I'm passionate about. It's always fun, and and the more people I can get interested and inspired, you know, the better. I think. That's what got me into it. I never believed I could do it myself until people were like, yeah, you should test it out and have that confidence in yourself. So if anyone's hearing and you're doubting whether to get into photography or just doing anything, the first step is the hardest, but definitely get yourself into it. And then it gets easier from there, I guess. Yeah, well, you know, Sylvia, it was nice chatting with you because, like I said, we've met on different webinars with Peace Boats, but I haven't had the opportunity to speak to you personally or unless I was saying hi or, yeah, we're all going to be on the Peace Boat next year, something (laughs) like that. So, yeah, this is really... It's really great. And, you know, Peaceboat always uses um, that quote with um, people protect what they, they love and in order for them to love it, they have to know it. And with you and your photography, you know, mm-hmm. you're bringing the ocean to the people and you're bringing different environmental justice issues to the people. And I think that it's amazing. And I am definitely going to hold you accountable to that website because Alex and I were looking <laughs> for pictures because we were like, Alex messaged me. He said, Kirisha, does she have anywhere that I could see her work? I could see her pictures. And I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> I've been stalking your Instagram. <laughs> no, yeah, no, that's, yeah, it's perfect. Now I, I really have to mm-hmm. do it and I'm, I'm excited. I'm really excited to work on that. Now that I graduated from college, I, I should have more time to, to work on that. So I'll definitely do it. I think that's a wrap. All right. 
Well, that was a really interesting discussion. I really enjoyed hearing Sylvia's backstory and what really motivates her to do the photography she does and share that with the world. It's really great to hear the ambition that she has and the drive she has going forward to share it with as many people as possible and do some amazing things with it. You know her journey or her story had such an interesting start, you know, like she started with photography and even though she mentioned, you know, that she wasn't a professional, but it's something she wanted to do. So she stuck with it and then, you know, she got the opportunity to scuba dive and it's only after seeing the oceans and what was taking place underneath is when she decided, oh, marine conservation photography or scuba diving photography. And then as she was studying environmental policies and social justice, and that opened up a whole new light to her so it's just seeing how it was just so interesting to see like how all these different activities in her life influence her journey and her passion right now and yeah just seeing how everything connected the dots and i can't wait to see her photography i have had a look at some of it already and it's very beautiful i, I did really as imagine. i mentioned at the end of the interview i did do a little bit of an instagram store <laughs> and there's some really great stuff out there so we will get the handles we need and everything to pop on the show notes so that mm-hmm. If you're out there and interested in checking out some of Sylvia's work, we'll let you know. And yeah, I really enjoyed just chatting so deeply about the potential for scuba diving as an educational tool and and communicating the issues that we've talked about a lot on this show, like coral bleaching and mm-hmm. pollution to a wider audience. So where can our listeners find us? As always, if you enjoy what you heard, you know, you want to follow us, want to keep up to date with us, um, check out our socials, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at PTA pod, check out our website. You know, if you want to be on the podcast, just shoot us an email. And we also have a Patreon. This helps us keep doing what we're doing and we love doing it and we definitely want to continue doing it. So join our Patreon. We have some great benefits and yeah. Brill. That just about wraps us up for the episode. Thank you again to Legion X for the fantastic song we mixed together for our theme. And thank you to all of you lovely people for tuning in. We'll see you in the next one. Happy New Year. Bye.